Hey, we've been walking through the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians for those of you that uh, have been attending. Um, and what a privilege it is to read a letter that Paul wrote to a very young church. And uh, they were going through some troubles and uh, some challenges. And the cool thing is, as we've already sung this morning, um, God is faithful. He walks us through those troubles. He's always there. He's been faithful. He will continue to be faithful. And, and so um, we're going to be uh, continuing in chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians. Mary Cushman tells about living through the Depression in the United States during the 1930s. And she remembers how it devastated her family. Her husband's average paycheck shrank to $18 a week, and since he was sick a lot, there were many weeks he didn't earn that much. She began taking in laundry and ironing jobs just to help supplement financially. She dressed her five children with Salvation Army clothing. And at one point, the local grocer to whom they owed as a family $50, and $50 was a lot of money back then, accused her 11-year-old son of stealing in his store. Well, quite frankly, Mary said, that was all I could take. Uh, I broke. She said, I, I just broke down. I, I, I couldn't take anymore. And she said, I couldn't see any hope. I shut off my washing machine, took my little five-year-old daughter into our bedroom. I plugged up the windows into cracks with paper and rags. I turned on the gas heater we had in the bedroom, and I didn't light it. As I lay down on the bed with my daughter beside me, she said, my daughter said, Mommy, this is funny. We just got up a little while ago. And I told her, never mind, we're just going to take a little nap. And I closed my eyes, Mary said. And I listened to the gas escape from the heater nearby. She said, I'll never forget the smell of that gas. And suddenly, suddenly in the midst of that, she hears music coming from the kitchen. She said, you know what, I forgot to turn off the radio. But it didn't matter. The music kept on playing. And then she said, I heard somebody singing a song on the radio. It was an old hymn. Some of you may know it. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our griefs and sins to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. As those lyrics drifted into Mary's bedroom, and the smell of that gas was becoming stronger, something happened. Something happened on the inside. She said, as I listened to the words of that hymn, I realized I had made a tragic mistake. I realized that I tried to fight all of my battles alone, uh, 
all my troubles alone. And so I jumped up, I turned off the gas, opened the door and raised the windows. And then Mary Cushman explained how she spent the rest of the day, that day, and the rest of her life thanking God for all the blessings that she had, even in the midst of the horrible depression. She started counting her blessings and started thanking the Lord for them. And she promised that day she would never again be ungrateful to the Lord. Well, that's not the end of the story because Mary Cushman and her family lost their home. They couldn't pay the mortgage. But she never gave up. They weathered the depression. Her five children grew up. They married. They had children of their own. She said, as I look back on that terrible day when I turned on the gas, I thank God over and over that I woke up in time. What joys I would have missed, how many wonderful years I would have forfeited forever. Whenever I hear now of someone who wants to end their life, I feel like crying, don't do it, don't. The darkest moments we live through can only last a little time, and then comes the future. And this morning, friend, if Mary Cushman were here standing in front of you, she would say, as I would say to you, Keep coming to Jesus. Keep coming. Even though the trail may be dark in your life, even though the sun seems to be sleeping, and hey, how about it last week? It seemed to be sleeping all week, right? (laughs) That's for sure. Um, You'll be tempted to give up and walk away. Yeah, but don't do it. Don't do it. I've got to tell you, this past week, just the past couple of days, I, in my Bible reading plan, I was reminded once again how cool it is to read the Bible. That's why we uh, feel so strong about supporting Gideons, because God's Word is powerful. Yeah. You've got to read it to be changed, though, friend. You cannot. It's unfortunate how Bibles have become bookends in so many homes in America. It's unfortunate because you're missing out on the very best that God has for you. But reading in Psalm and reading in the book of Nahum, I have to tell you, man, it, it, um, it resonated within me and it resonated with Mary Cushman and it will resonate in the heart's of God's people in Psalm 73, 13, 14. The psalmist is writing about how he, he's been observing people who don't live for God, and it seems like everything's going their way. It, it seems that they don't have any trouble in their life. And this psalmist has said, I'm looking at these people, and I'm realizing I've got all kinds of trouble, man. And so he says, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? Verse 14, I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. Maybe you feel like that today. But as you read through the chapter, look at verse 28. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. And see, he worked his way through it. And you might be struggling right now and you've got some stuff going on in the inside of you where you're maybe ticked off at God. Life doesn't seem fair. 
You've set your sail towards God and it seems like trouble is following you all along the way. And people that don't give a rip about God, they seem to be flourishing. It doesn't make sense. So the psalmist is working through that. And he's pouring his heart out. You catch, he's being very transparent before God. Don't ever think you cannot be honest before God, that God's going to get ticked off at you. He's big enough to handle it. He can handle it. And he wants you to be honest because he already knows how you're feeling. And so on the tail end of this chapter, the psalmist settles the matter. He's good with it. And he says, but as for me, how good is it to be near God? And then reading Nahum 1.7. Oh my, the Lord is good. A strong refuge when trouble comes. He is close to those who trust in him. Can I tell you, man, when just reading that personally, how it just lit up in my core. Lord, you are so good. When trouble comes, Lord, I'm okay because... I'm putting my trust in you. That's pretty much what Paul was writing to the church of Thessalonica. Very similar. The the message is the same. And we need to open our Bibles. We need to meditate on God's word. We We need to sing and worship. Like Nick challenged us today. Let's not just sing words on a screen, man. Let's let's reach down deep in our core, man, and push the diaphragm. Talk to other believers. Place yourself in God's presence. Last night, man, I went for a walk. It was dark. I first started walking. There were stars everywhere, everywhere. And in the beauty of the canopy of God's creation, I just worship God, man. I poured my heart out to him. And I told him how great he was. And how grateful I am for a great God. And I have the privilege to live for him. We need those personal times of worship to renew the inner core. We need those times to read his word and meditate on it. We need those times to hang out with other believers with like faith where we can be encouraged and we can encourage others. Man, we need it. And so, let's go to the book of 1 Thessalonians 3. Uh, And if you've got your notes, you can follow along as well. Finally, Paul says, when we could stand it no longer, we decided to stay alone in Athens, and we sent Timothy to visit you. He is our brother and God's co-worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ, and we sent him to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you are going through. But you know that we are destined for such troubles. Even while we were with you, we warned you that troubles would soon come, and they did, as you well know. And that is why when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid 
that the tempter, Satan, had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. But now Timothy has just returned bringing us good news about your faith and love and he reports that you always remember our visit with joy and that you want to see us as much as we want to see you. And so we have been greatly encouraged in the midst of our troubles and suffering. Paul's going through it again, man. Here it is. Same old, same old. Troubles and suffering. Following Paul wherever he goes. <laughs> Dear brothers and sisters, because you have remained strong in your faith. Lord, help us, your people, to remain strong in our faith. Help us, Lord, to be determined to follow after you, to live for you, to model you, to spend time with you, to spend time with your people. Lord, we realize we can't do this on our own. We need your power, and you give it to us. You have given it to us. It's resident within every follower of Christ. May we depend on it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, friends, there's always a temptation to give up when you walk with God. I've gone through times like that. That's why I, re- I, re- I referenced the Richards and, and um, Don Fechner. I talked to him last week. Uh, Friday he had his 91st birthday, and he was hoping to come out today. Um, but it's cool that to have models, people that have lived for Jesus for years, for decades, and they're excited about their faith. We need people like that. And Paul recognized that he saw it firsthand. People were just checking out when things got tough. They just drifted away from God, and they let the world beat them up in the process. And so he was concerned about the, this young church at Thessalonica. And some were wavering, some needed courage, and so he writes this letter. Number one, encouraged in times of trouble. Uh, Paul did not have the ability to go back to Thessalonica, and so he sent Timothy. And uh, just like, you know, back in chapter 2, he referenced, you know, being a mother, being a father to this young church. Parents, you know, you know how it is with your children. It doesn't matter how young they are. It doesn't matter how old they are. You think about them all the time. Once you're a parent, you're always a parent. <laughs> and Paul is, is exhibiting the parental passion and the weight of parenting with this young congregation, saying, I think about you day and night, man. Your thoughts are always on my mind because I'm concerned about your spiritual well-being. Just like a parent would to their sons and daughters. And so Paul um, says we decided to stay alone, and that word alone is interesting. It kind of puts, it opens the shade into his soul where it means that it expresses a sense of desolation, a picture of being left behind. It's pretty raw. It's a raw emotion for Paul. And... um, 
You know, he says, uh, hey, we want to strengthen you, encourage you in your faith, keep you from being shaken by the troubles that you are going through. Hey, we all need that, don't we? We all need to be strengthened and encouraged. And Timothy had that task when he went representing Paul and the team to, be, to strengthen that young church, to encourage them, and to, and to keep them from being shaken in the, in the persecution that they were facing. And so some people feel that if you're going through a tough time, God must be ticked off at you. You know, he's paying you back for something that you did in the past. You know, God has this little list he keeps in his back pocket and he's waiting for you to make a mistake so he can get back at you, you know. Zero in that lightning bolt, boom, make you suffer a little bit. No, no, that's not how God operates. No. Jesus recognized that we live in a broken world and he promised trouble because we live in a broken world. Even as a mature follower of Christ, friend, you cannot look at, at trouble and you start doubting whether God loves you. You know, if God is punishing you, no, that God does not operate like that. In fact, when Paul wrote this letter in 51 AD, he writes to to, to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, and that's A.D. 67. So do the math. 16 years later, down the road, Paul's in prison in Rome at the time when he's writing this letter to Timothy, and he's reminding Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.12, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Yes, indeed, it's going to happen. Don't be surprised. If you want to live for God, you're going to suffer persecution, man. It's going to happen. And yet, when storms come in life, we need to realize, Lord, you will see me through. You are not going anywhere. You're going to walk me through every trouble that I go through. And Paul is saying, hey, press on, press on, press on. Don't flirt with the idea of checking out, man. And just like Richard Wormbrand, we talked about him last week, wrote, I've never met one single lukewarm Russian Christian. Persecution always produced a better Christian. You see that happening all around the world today in China, India, parts of Africa, Russia, Asia. Man. So, number two, troubles in the mail. I know. Verse 3b, but you know we are destined for such troubles. Destined. That's an interesting word, isn't it? Does that mean that God makes all these appointments for trouble to come your way? <laughs> he, he wants to beat you up. Oh, man. Trouble's in the mail. And that's why you never go to your mailbox, right? You don't, you don't want to get the bills, man. You don't want the bills. And so you leave. Hey, I never got the bill. You tell the, the business, I never got it. Well, go to your mailbox. It's been in there for 61 days. It's time. You know, it's time you get in there. Pay the bill. So, so Jesus said in John 15, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it, but you were no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Some of you are feeling that, aren't you? 
You don't put your nose up in the air and say, hey, I'm suffering for Jesus. No, no, you walk in humility, just the way Jesus did. He suffered persecution, and he says, I promise you, you will too, if you love me. Just get used to it. Trouble's in the mail. If you haven't had trouble yet, it's in the mail. It's coming. It's on the way. Does that make you paranoid? Absolutely not. This is an opportunity when Jesus proves his greatness by receiving that trouble and letting him work through your life for his honor and glory. That's what he wants. Number three, trouble predicted, and here it is. In other words, it's in the mail, and the mailman brought it to your door. Verse four, even while we were with you, Paul says, we warned you that trouble would soon come, and they did. (laughs) Paul's saying, I don't have to be a prophet to tell you this. He said, I put my faith in Christ, trouble came, I'm just, telling you, I'm just telling you the way it is. That's life. It's life. I know, I know you want to put your head in the sand and pretend trouble's going to go away. No, you can't live like that. And so um, we warned you that troubles would soon come, and they did. There, you know, there's a lot of people spending their time hiding from trouble. They're trying to make life easy. They avoid danger, pain, discomfort. I mean, that's the way we're wired. We want to we wanna resist that, right? Nobody says, throw on the pain, man, more pain. You know? No. That's not, that's not normal either. But when we purpose to avoid danger, pain, and discomfort, you know what happens? We start to die spiritually. Because we're, we're pulling the, the blanket over our head. To protect ourselves. And when you start pulling the blanket over your head, you're withdrawing from people. And suddenly the world becomes as big as you are only. That's a dangerous place to be. We turn our lives inward, we lose our intended purpose. And we serve Christ, those trials are there to help us grow and mature. Do you know back in the 1930s, the United States sent missionaries to China. And the missionaries taught the Chinese that hardship would, would never come, that Jesus would come before persecution would come. That kind of theology that the rapture, you know, would, you would be spared from any hard times. Well, you know that the Japanese invaded China And when they did, these Chinese people thought they were lied to by the missionaries. And many became bitter and angry at God for allowing them to suffer the way they did. My friends, when you read the Bible, it's very clear. If you love Jesus, you will suffer. It's going to happen. And Paul is saying, we told you it would, and it's, you're experiencing it right now. Romans 5, 3, and 4, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. 
Number four, trouble is a test. Verse five, that is why when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. Because persecution had come to Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and Paul is saying, man, because I'm not there with you, I, I couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't take it anymore. So we sent Timothy, you know, to find out how you were doing spiritually. And he said, I was afraid. I was afraid. That's normal. That, again, that's kind of a parental concern when you know your child or children are in harm's way, you know. I was afraid that you would buckle. I was afraid that you would give in. I was afraid that you would compromise. And so Paul writes, and he talks about the tempter had gotten the best of you. That our work, our investment of teaching you God's word was useless. That was Paul's concern. And Satan, we know, is a, an angel an angel that had been created by God that rebelled against God in heaven. Listen, friends, he's real. He's not symbolic. There are, there are seminaries today. There are churches today that poo-poo Satan. You know, no big deal. There's no real Satan. There's no real hell. You're good. That's all, that's all, that's lies. Flat out lies. Satan tempted Eve right off the bat in the garden. You know that. And what happened? Eve gave in to temptation. Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew 4. Jesus did not give in to temptation. To be tempted is not sin. When you give in to temptation, that is sin. And just a flare in the air for moms and dads here today in Matthew 18, 6, but if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. This is Jesus saying, Mom and Dad, you better take your parenting seriously. Because somehow, as an adult, we rationalize what I can watch and what I can see and how I, how I can eat and drink and places where I can go, and my kids are too young, they can't handle it. But when they grow up, they have to make that decision. Listen to me. Your kids are smart enough to see what's going on in your life right now. They don't understand when I become an adult, I can do this. They see hypocrisy with a capital H. Boom! You want to thwart their spiritual maturity? You want to thwart their growth in God, their trust in God? That's all negated when they see mom and dad living a compromised life. I'm telling you, that's, that's been proven over and over again in studies that have been done. You live your life the way you expect your son or daughter to live their life, right here and right now, not, wait, not waiting till they become an adult. That's why so many young people today are checking out spiritually because they don't see a consistent message in their home. Yo. And that's why Jesus took it seriously. He said, you, you take one of these kids and you make them stumble. You, as a mom and dad, you put a millstone around your neck and call it the end of the day. That's how I look at it. 
Because I take it seriously. That's what Jesus is talking about. So, so there are four things you can do every day to thwart the devil's efforts to destroy you. Number one, you can take control of your thought life. This is not in your notes, by the way. You can use the, the little notepad inside your Bible. Fill it in. You can take control of your thought life. We know the Bible teaches wherever your thoughts go, that's where your life is going to follow after. Romans 12, 2, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. What do you think about? What takes up the time in your brain throughout the day? What do you spend most of your time thinking about? Number two, stay in fellowship with other people who are actively resisting the devil. We can learn a good lesson from the Redwood Forest in California. Check this out. You see that little dude on the right? He's not a G.I. Joe, you know, one of those little guys. That's a real person. That's a real dude right there. You see the magnitude of those trees? 300 feet tall, 50 feet diameter. Holy smoke. You think these roots of the Redwoods would go down to China? Wouldn't you? You just go, whoo, man, those roots are going way down. No, 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 no. Man, you look at the heights of those redwoods, you think, how in the world can they keep standing when those winds blow, you know, in Northern California? How, how does that happen? Here, here's the little secret. Those roots are shallow, but guess what? They're entangled with each other. Those roots, attra- they, they entangle themselves with the tree next to them and the tree next to them. And so all these roots are intertwined with each other. <clears throat> you know? That's what keeps them standing. Those massive redwoods give us a beautiful picture of what the church is all about. The mighty forest of believers. Locked arms standing firm against Satan and his schemes. Hmm. And that's why Hebrews 10.25, Paul writes, let's not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Do you realize that the return of Christ is closer today than it was in the middle of March when everything shut down? Hmm? Do you know how time is getting away? Jesus is coming. This is not a time to abort the church. We need each other. Man, we need each other. I can remember back on Father's Day when we opened up for the first time. Man, it felt so good. Man, it was so good to see people with like faith. And then the first Wednesday family night, I'm telling you, man, it was electric in this place. God's people belong together. Woo! This nonsense where you become the Lone Ranger, you know, the Lone Ranger's in one room and Tonto's in another room. It's not healthy. It's not healthy. It's like Doris. 
91 years old, she was starting to have some health problems and she was in the hospital because she recently had her foot amputated, but as usual, Doris' spirits were high, man. She was excited. You know, her pastor came in to visit her and she said, Pastor, I'm thankful to God for two things. One, that God allowed me to keep my foot for 91 years. And the second thing is, I have a strong church family. This is what she told her pastor. I would have given in to Satan's whispers long ago if it had not been for the encouragement of my church family. Did you catch that? Man, we need each other. Friend, we need each other. Three, pray. James 5.16, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Prayer. Man, we got... We've got uh, Reset next Saturday, and we've got Billy uh, Franklin Graham's deal, September 26th at the Capitol in Washington, D.C. You can stream it. Friends, if the, I've been going through the prophets in the Old Testament, and over and over again, God says, what's it going to take for you to pray? You know, I've been trying to get your attention over and over again. You have abandoned me. You have rejected me over and over again. What's it going to take? I want to ask you, what's it going to take for you to start praying? Not only for your life, but for the preservation of our country. Man, we need God's help. Four, if you're serious about resisting the devil, always run from trouble. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. We're not talking about exclusively trouble. We're talking about specific trouble, okay? All right? You know. Um, Proverbs 4, 14, 15. Don't do as the wicked do and don't follow the paths of evildoers. Don't even think about it. Don't even think about it. Don't go that way. Turn away and keep moving. Go away and keep moving. It's the way it was with the, uh, the dude in Florida. He woke up early one morning to put a pot of coffee on in his kitchen. He staggered in and he's rubbing the sleep out of his eyes and he looks down and there's a three-foot alligator in his kitchen floor. And evidently, the, the, the reptile entered his house, where? Through the doggy door. He doesn't read the signs, dogs only. The door was open and he came in. So guess what? After the authorities removed the gator, this man's first order of business was what? To get rid of the doggy door, right? Dude, I don't want another alligator in my kitchen when I'm making coffee in the morning. Yeah, man. Satan does not need a large opening to access your heart. Not only can you lock the doors and the windows, friend, you need to shut the door on the doggy door. You need to lock it permanently. You need to seal up every access point in that he has the opportunity to. First Peter five eight. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
James 4, 7, so humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Yeah. The devil tempts us in hard times. I, I, I have to tell you, um, as a pastor, these last several months have been challenging to me. I, I have to be honest with you, man. I told somebody, I said, if we stayed closed down, you know, I would quit. I would quit. I couldn't take it. I need God's people. I need you. Well, Barna says that one in five churches could close in the next 18 months. 20% of the churches in America are on the way boarding up. Why? Why? Well, You've heard this too. One in three practicing Christians has stopped attending church, whether in person or online, since the outbreak of COVID-19. I don't get it. And as a pastor, that really grieves me. It does. It grieves me. It grieves me. You see, Satan tempts us to doubt God's goodness. He tempts us to give in to despair and discouragement. Tom Rainer said, six reasons your pastor is about to quit, and I just want to put this, I'm not ready to quit. I'm not about to quit. All right? Um, But he says six reasons. Um, The vast majority of pastors with whom our team communicates are saying they're considering quitting their churches. It's a trend I've never seen in my lifetime. Nick talked about a battle that's raging. Friend, this is a battle that's raging in our country today. Christians are giving up. That's why Paul wrote the letter to this young church not to give up. Some are just weeks away from making an announcement. They're looking for work in the secular world. Some will move to buy vocational ministry. Some will move to the marketplace ministry. These pastors don't think they're leaving the ministry. They just believe the current state of negativity and apathy in many local churches is not the most effective way they can do ministry. One, pastors are weary from the pandemic just like everybody else is. Two, pastors are greatly discouraged about the fighting taking place among church members about the post-quarantine church. Three, pastors are discouraged about losing members in attendance. Four, pastors don't know if their churches will be able to support ministries financially in the future. Can I just give you a a heads up? Life Church giving has been up through the (laughs) COVID-19. Plus, we are very, very close to paying off the mortgage. To the glory of God. To the glory of God. Press on. Press on. Press on.
criticisms against pastors have increased significantly, number five. And, and it goes on and on. Do you think that makes God happy? That grieves the heart of God, friend. Followers of Christ are bailing out so easy. Can I tell you a little secret? They're probably not reading the Bible. And they're probably not hanging out with other believers. And they're not worshiping God throughout the week. They're a target. That's what Paul was concerned about, this young church. So, I just want to challenge you, friend, to press on. We've heard about Gideon's International, the great work they're doing and its purpose to influence people for Christ by placing copies of Bibles in the traffic lanes of life. And Joel would attest to that. He would say, man, I've seen it happen in my own life. His world fell apart over some very, very poor decisions he made. He had been married 14 years, and he was having an affair with, with another woman not his wife. His wife found out and she told him, get out of the house. He ends up in a motel room and he calls his lover and says, honey, it's time we can get together permanently. And she says, you know what? I really don't love you after all. Joel was in trouble. He was sitting in the motel room at the desk with his hands in his face, feeling anger and humiliation. And in front of him, not 18 inches away, was a Gideon Bible. And he stared at that Bible for several seconds, and he had this urge to pick it up and start reading it. But you know what? He quickly banished that thought. He said no. He said no to the Spirit of God. Instead, he decided to go out and get drunk to help the pain. That's what a lot of people are doing today. The next morning, he woke up in a hospital room. He didn't remember how he got there. The doctor told him how, that he drove his car into a tree the night before. He had a broken leg, cracked ribs, broken nose, and that was his first drunk driving charge in his life. His car was totaled, and the doctor said, Joel, you should be dead. You should have died in that accident. But you're alive. Well, it didn't take Joel long to spot the Gideon Bible sitting on the table beside his bed. It looked just like the one he saw in the motel room. The same color, everything about it. He didn't reach for it at first. No, there was a battle again going on in his mind. He tried to ignore that Bible. He, his eyes kept drifting away from it, but coming back to it again, and finally he did pick it up. Joel realized that he had not picked up a Bible in over 30 years, but somehow it had remained familiar in his hands. Perhaps those countless trips to Sunday school as a little boy had paid off after all. 
He flipped through the Bible to the front to the back. Finally landed in the book of Isaiah. He didn't really know how that happened, but he remembered that his mom said, that's my favorite book in the Bible. Landed in Isaiah 55, 6 and 7, it said, Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God for he will forgive generously. Isn't that great news, friend? Maybe somebody in this place online needs to hear that this morning. It's time to turn to God because he forgives generously. To this day, Joel points to that moment in that hospital room picking up the Bible that that was the turning point, the tipping point in his life. And he will tell you firsthand, my life was dead, man. I was gone in my own personal wilderness of sin. And I suddenly came to an oasis and it was God's word. And yes, it took a while for Joel to put his life back together again to repair the damage that he caused and he worked steadily at it and yes, he even managed to save his marriage by the grace of God. And friends, how is it with you this morning in your relationship with the Lord? More than anything in the world, God wants to have a relationship with you. Even in the midst of trouble, trouble gets our attention. And you have a God who's always there. He never will abandon you. And you can say, Jesus, I realize you went to the cross to pay for my sin debt. You paid it in full. There was nothing I could ever do to earn my way to heaven or be good enough to get into heaven. No, no, Lord, you paid it in full. You took my place. And today, Jesus, I put my trust in you. I put all my faith in you. Forgive me my sins, Lord. I'm inviting you to forgive me. I'm inviting you to come into my life and become my spiritual leader for the rest of my life, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that. And help me to live for you the rest of my life through the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I thank you this morning for the power of your word. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness. I thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. You are an awesome God. And Lord, we need you today. We need you today. Lord, we need you to be number one in our lives. We realize it's so easy to coast and drift and wander we are prone to wander, but Lord, help us to be determined to live for you one day at a time. We thank you, Jesus, for this letter that Paul wrote to this young church as a model on how we can live our lives. Help us, Lord, to be committed to your word, to spending time with you, to worship you, to invest in being with your people, Lord. We need each other. Those roots need to be intertwined one with another. 
to remain strong in those winds of life when trouble comes. So thank you. Thank you, Lord. What is God's Spirit saying to you right now? Is He challenging you specifically right now on an area in your life or recommitting to that relationship with Christ? like Joel pushed the Bible away God was merciful he gave him another chance man don't push God away say yes Lord here is my life I give it to you freely I will do what you want me to do in Jesus name